This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there and thanks for joining me again. I'm Robbie Bergen and you are listening to The Faith Experiment. This is the show where we explore faith in a very practical manner. We break down themes that are often misunderstood and seem very complicated. We're going to make faith practical, so practical that you can experiment with it in your own life. As I've mentioned over the last few episodes, before I delve into very contemporary topics and issues, I want to set the context to all of this by taking you through how my personal experiment with faith began. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, grab the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. Now, on this show, I have a great prize to give away, so stick around to get the code word during the show. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to send the code word via text message to 04 so save the number in your phone now, 0488-45311, and wait for the code word. Well, this is episode three of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode War on the Horizon. By aiding and abetting murder, the Taliban regime is committing murder. And tonight, the United States of America makes the following demands on the Taliban. Deliver to United States authorities all the leaders of Al-Qaeda who hide in your land, including American citizens you have unjustly imprisoned. Close immediately and permanently every terrorist training camp in Afghanistan and hand over every terrorist and every person in their support structure to appropriate authorities. These demands are not open to negotiation or discussion. Now, this war will not be like the war against Iraq a decade ago, with a decisive liberation of territory and a swift conclusion. Americans should not expect one battle, but a lengthy campaign, unlike any other we have ever seen. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. And tonight, a few miles from the damaged Pentagon, I have a message for our military. Be ready. I've called the armed forces to alert, and there is a reason. The hour is coming when America will act, and you will make us proud. As I've already shared on episode one and two, my faith experiment began in the shadows of one of the most important and horrifying events of this century, the attacks of September 11. 2001. On the last episode, The Aftermath, I left you with that scene where I was climbing the stairs in my parents' home, only to be shocked with what I found. My parents, in their lounge room, kneeling around their coffee table, praying. Now, some of you might say, why is this so profound? I mean, people pray every day in their lounge rooms. Well, to understand the significance of that scene, let me take you back. My parents were both born and raised in Sydney, Australia. Both of them came from Christian homes. But shortly after I was born, when I was about two or three, my parents drifted away from their Christian roots. And although they drifted in and out of faith a couple of times during my early childhood, by the time I was 10, 
our home was like any other secular home in Australia. Now, as time progressed, these Christian roots were mostly non-existent. And each of us in the home pursued our own ways, our own goals, and really lived according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now, each of us in the home, five of us in total, all had our own vices. My dad was, and is, a great guy. I attribute most of my skills in life to what I learnt from my father. He has an excellent work ethic, has excellent leadership skills, very practical with his hands, and he's also very philosophical. Now, for about a decade before September 11, 2001, my dad balanced a successful career in sales and an addictive drug habit, which we kids were completely oblivious to. In the weeks leading up to September 11, 2001, my dad recalls an event that shook him up, as he says, and gave him the heebie-jeebies. He was walking through the Queen Street Mall there in Brisbane, making his way to the bank, if I remember correctly. And he passed a blind man sitting down on the ground with some kind of hat or container with some kind of note. You know, the typical, I need help. Help me if you can. Can you spare some change? One of those kinds of signs. Now, my dad recalls that he noticed this guy out of the corner of his eye as he was walking. But as he had business to do with limited time, being that he was on his lunch break, he walked right by him. But after he finished whatever it was he was doing, he had to walk back down the same Queen Street Mall, right past the same guy sitting there with the same sign and with the same hat. Now, Dad thought to himself that he should probably help this guy out with a few dollars. So he did. He walked over to where the guy was sitting, and Dad reached out his hand to drop some coins into his hat. And in a split second, the blind guy with Bruce Lee-like reflexes reaches out and grabs my dad's hand before he could even drop the coins into the hat. My dad was standing there in shock. And then, a blind man, at least a man who portrayed himself as being blind, I mean, he was sitting there with a walking stick. He wore his dark black sunglasses. He looks like he's blind. The man directs his head towards where my dad was standing, all while having that strong grip on my dad's wrist. And he says, there's still time. There's still time. And with that, the man let go of his grip of my dad's wrist. And my dad moved away as quickly as possible. My dad was asking the question to himself, what did he mean there's still time? Time for what? Well, a few short days later, September 11, 2001 happened. American 11, are you trying to call? The doctor is not answering their phone. Our number one is in staff and our five is in staff. I am going to call from Washington. I am in a situation with American learned a possible hijack. What's going on, Betty? The crap is erratic again. Problem, you're erratic. Betty, talk to me. Betty, are you there? Betty? Betty? We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. We don't know if it was a private aircraft. Another one just hit the building. My dad was asking the question to himself. What did he mean there's still time? 
Time for what? And these words echoed in my father's mind. And then one night out of the blue, an acquaintance that my father had decades before, someone who still retained his Christian roots. He called my dad after years of silence. The phone call was short and to the point. In light of what was taking place in the world, September 11, the voice on the phone told my dad, it's time to return back to God. My dad made a series of excuses as to why that was impossible. But this persistent voice insisted that there was still time. My parents were being invited to a special day of lectures on the following Saturday. These talks were about how these events taking place in the world were all connected to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. My dad said he wasn't going to go, but my mum said they had to. Now, my mum didn't often put a foot down, but if she did, there was normally a very good reason to listen. So the next Saturday, mum and dad show up to these meetings without telling us kids anything, not knowing what to expect as they sat there in the back of the auditorium. The presenter at the front began to unravel the significance of what was taking place in the world and its connection to ancient Hebrew predictions, and how these predictions were reiterated in the teachings of the rabbi Jesus. At the end of the first presentation, the presenter made an appeal to the audience to give their lives to Jesus and to seek him to be their Lord and Savior. My mum recalls as she was sitting there, she wanted to respond to the appeal, but she didn't want to go to the front of the room without my dad. As she was sitting there contemplating whether to go or not to go, right then my dad jumped up out of his seat and started moving quickly down the aisle to get to the front to respond to the appeal. My shocked mother immediately joined him. And right there, on that day, in that building, in front of those people, my parents dedicated their lives to God. And they accepted Jesus into their lives and asked him to transform their pain and their hurt and their suffering into something with purpose. As they returned home that evening, their hearts were turned towards their three children. They had three adult children all living their own lives, doing their own things, many of which they disagreed with. But what could they do? Prayer. Prayer was their only choice. And so over the next few days, three times a day, in the morning, at lunch, and in the evening, they made their way to the lounge room. Around that coffee table, they knelt down and they prayed for their three children. They prayed for their children that they would find God. And it was during one of these prayer sessions that I walked in on. We have to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue my post-September 11 story. And stick around for today's code word for today's giveaway. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. 
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04 That's 04 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. By the mark where the nails have been By the sun upon his precious skin I will know my Savior when I come to him By the mark where the nails have been Where the nails have been By the mark where the nails have been 
This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode three of the Faith Experiment. And I'm calling this episode War on the Horizon. Now, remember, coming up on the show, I have a great prize I'm giving away, so stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 4 So save the number on your phone, 4 and wait for the code word. Now, on October 7, 2001, the United States began their invasion of Afghanistan. Good afternoon. On my orders... The United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. We are joined in this operation by our staunch friend, Great Britain. Other close friends, including Canada, Australia, Germany and France have pledged forces as the operation unfolds. We are supported by the collective will of the world. More than two weeks ago, I gave Taliban leaders a series of clear and specific demands. None of these demands were met. And now, the Taliban will pay a price. The world was now engaged in what was being termed the War on Terror. Before the break, I shared with you how my parents found themselves in those meetings where a presenter was unraveling the connection between what was taking place in the world and the ancient prophecies of the Bible. For my parents, it was a call back to their Christian roots. And as they repented of their past and embraced Jesus as their Savior, they offered their petitions on behalf of their children. And this is where I found them in that lounge room, praying. After they told me how they got to this point, I said nothing to them of my own journey so far. I kept silent. I grabbed my mail they'd been holding for me and made my way to the door. I get in the car and I start driving. What's happening to my world? Dark, shadowy figures, thunderstorms and fields. Overwhelming sense of guilt of past wrongdoings. Predictions of New York City buildings and ancient Hebrew prophecies from a guy called Daniel. Financial losses the spreading of anthrax, and war is now on the horizon. The end of relationships, friends shunning me. And now, blind men talking, phone calls from the past, cinema signs, Jesus is coming soon, and my parents praying? What's going on? Is there really something bigger than us out there? Someone who's orchestrating all of these events? Who is it? What does he want? How do we even know if he's real or if he exists? Now, I was driving in my car with no particular destination, but I just needed to get away. Get away from everything that had transpired in the last couple of days. Away from the storms, away from the arguments, away from these supernatural moments, away from people. I don't want to get sucked into these things. I I've got to protect myself from whatever this is and whatever's happening because clearly this thing's bigger than me. It's affecting other people around me. It's not just me. And so for the next few weeks, my life 
revolved around getting up, going to work, doing research during my lunch break, coming home and reading this book of Daniel, and then rereading the book of Daniel. You see, when you're trying to solve problems, you spend a lot of your initial time becoming familiar with the context, with the limits, with the sequence, with the characters and with the objects connected to the scope. And almost naturally, I began to do the same thing with this book, this ancient Hebrew book called Daniel. As I read and reread this book of Daniel, I began to sense structure and patterns and climax. Now, I consider myself to be a non-believer and an atheist. And yet, as I read and reread this book, something was drawing me in. And so in my quest to understand this book, I found that the book of Daniel is a 6th century BC document. And there's a number of evidences to support that. One of those evidences was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. Among numerous scrolls and scroll fragments that were found inside of clay jars, in a series of caves lining the Dead Sea, was the scroll of Daniel. Now, considering the parchments on which these words were written and some of the coins that were found among the artifacts, it's been established that these copies of the book of Daniel date back well and truly to 150 to 200 BC. And remember, these are only the copies of the original. That means that the originals had to be much older than at least 200 BC. Another piece of evidence comes from the historian Josephus, who provides an account that Alexander the Great, the guy that we all know about, we've all read his stories, we've seen movies, but Alexander the Great was presented with a copy of the book of Daniel when he visited Judah in 332 BC, which means there were copies of the book of Daniel in 332 BC, again implying that the original is still much older than that. And then there's the evidence of language. Scholars note that the Aramaic language used to write Daniel's book is a perfect match with the Aramaic of the 6th century BC. So there's no doubt that the book of Daniel was written sometime around 600 BC which is important to understand before you look at what's written in the book. As you look at the book of Daniel, you'll find that it's essentially made up of two distinct sections. The first half of the book, or the first six chapters, deal with stories. They're mostly a narrative of the events as they take place in real time with its main characters, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But a lot of these stories have predictive elements and fulfillments. Now, the second half of the book of Daniel is less narrative and more predictive in nature. From chapter 7 right through to chapter 12, you see many more symbols and timelines and events, and yet there are striking parallels in the stories of the first six chapters to the prophetic events of the last six chapters. It's almost like in the first six chapters, we see how it will happen whereas in the last six chapters, we'll see when it will happen. 
Among these chapters in the book of Daniel, one stood out with particular force, and it's found in the second chapter of Daniel's narrative. It's a story, but it turns into a prophecy, but ends with a story. The story starts off telling of a king, that famous King Nebuchadnezzar, and how he has a dream, and he can't remember that dream, and then he calls for the wise men and those who read the stars, those who find meaning in mystical formations of livers of sacrificial animals and all kinds of other wacky things. The story continues and shows how these so-called wise men, these religious leaders of the pagan world, they're unable to interpret this dream or this omen for this king. And so the king is furious and demands the execution of these wise men. It's at this point that Daniel comes into the story and he makes a request of the king that he would give him time to seek out the secret from his God, the God of the Hebrews, Elohim or El Shaddai or Adonai. Now the story continues with Daniel going to his God in prayer and seeking him for understanding regarding this matter for the king. The next scene is Daniel receives a vision while he sleeps and in that vision Daniel claims that God revealed the exact same dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. It says in Daniel chapter 2 verse 19, it says, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And now if you look at the words that Daniel speaks as he prays in the next portion of the story, you get an indication of the purpose of the dream, at least according to to the story. It says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. And so, according to Daniel, this dream has something to do with times and seasons and the removing and setting up of kings or kingdoms. And in the next scene, when Daniel enters into the presence of the king, this is exactly what we find. Daniel proceeds to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, what he dreamt, and then second, what the dream meant. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that his dream is of an image of a man, and the man was made of various metals. For example, the head was made of gold, the chest was made of silver, the waist was made of bronze, the legs were made of iron, and the feet were made of a mixture of iron and clay. The next scene in this dream is that the king saw a rock coming from basically out of space, I guess, and hitting the image on the feet and breaking the whole image into pieces. And then... That rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So obviously the king wants to know what the dream means. That's the whole reason of the story in the first place. And so Daniel next gives the interpretation of the dream. So here's the interesting part of the story, especially to me, who at this point, I didn't believe in the Bible or God. In this story, Daniel doesn't take any credit for the interpretation that he's about to give. In fact, he says in chapter 2, verse 28, 
He says, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Daniel is claiming that what he says next comes directly from God. Daniel claims that the golden head represents the kingdom of Babylon. Then he states that the silver represents a kingdom that will overthrow Babylon. Then he says the bronze is a third kingdom that will overthrow the silver kingdom. And then this will be followed by an iron kingdom which will overthrow the bronze kingdom. And so, from Nebuchadnezzar's point in history, there will be three more kingdoms that will follow after Babylon. And then, that fourth kingdom, that kingdom of iron, it will be divided into ten divisions. And it's at this point in time, during this divided fourth empire, that this great and final rock will come and wipe out all the kingdoms and itself become a kingdom that fills the whole earth. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is told who the second and third kingdoms will be by name. He is told that the second kingdom would be the kingdom of Medo-Persia and that the third kingdom would be the kingdom of Greece. And of course, anybody who's done any basic history class in school knows that it was the Roman Empire that overthrew the Greek Empire, which gives us exactly three kingdoms after Babylon. Now, what's remarkable is that the fourth kingdom, or the Roman Empire, is predicted to divide into ten. And again, if you know your school history, that's exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. By 538 AD, the Roman Empire had collapsed into ten tribes, many of which still exist today. Now, as I studied and I restudied and I researched this book of Daniel, it became more and more apparent that there was something here worthy of deeper investigation. How could somebody predict the succession of four world empires that span almost a thousand years? And how could, a thousand years before it happened, how could it be predicted that the fourth empire, the Roman Empire, it wouldn't be conquered by a fifth empire, but it would divide into ten regions or ten tribes? I mean, how is this possible? it became apparent that this prophecy had very real and tangible predictive elements that could be put to a test. You didn't have to just believe these passages. You could test these passages. Well, we have to take a short break now, but when we come back, we will continue with my post-September 11 story and how I started to see things very different as I looked at these ancient Hebrew manuscripts. And remember to stick around for today's code word for today's giveaway. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. You take what And you make it beautiful When love floods in We'll restore forevermore We pray the breeze 
to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. This is episode number three, and I'm calling this episode War on the Horizon. Now, remember, coming up on the show, I have a great prize to give away, so stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text this code word to 0488 so save the number on your phone, 0488 Four five three double one, and wait for the code word. Now, I've just been sharing with you some of my discoveries as I studied this book of Daniel and how I came across this remarkable story of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar and this mysterious dream that almost cost the life of all the wise men of Babylon. 
I found that these passages of this ancient Hebrew book didn't just need to be believed, but they could be tested. Now, as I made my way through the rest of the book, more and more of these testable portions became more apparent. I had thought for all these years that people who believed in the Bible believed it with sort of blind faith, meaning that there was no real difference to believing in Santa Claus or in God. Basically, somebody told them what to believe, they accepted it, and they considered that their belief. But that was becoming less and less true with each portion of this book of Daniel. I mean, there were real words here that could actually be tested. Now, I found more symbols in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Symbols of animals, bears, lions, leopards, dragons, sheep, goats. I also started coming across timelines. For example, the prophecy of the great image of a man made of various metals, I saw it as a timeline, a gigantic timeline, starting somewhere in the year 600 BC with King Nebuchadnezzar and then running down through all the successive ages right down to our very time. And then there was the timeline of 2,300 years in chapter 8 and a prophecy of 70 weeks or 490 days in Daniel chapter 9. What are all these timelines what do they mean? But when I came to chapter 11, something wasn't clear, something wasn't right as I read it. Now, this is the chapter that's meant to somehow be connected to those events that would take place in New York City, at least according to that prediction I had read a few weeks earlier. But what does it mean? Now, I don't know if you've ever read Daniel chapter 11. But it's pretty heavy-duty reading, to say the least. It's the story of the king of the north and the king of the south, and they're having these skirmishes. They go back and forward, and with each round or with each iteration of skirmishes, there are losses and gains. But when you get down to verse 40 of chapter 11, you see the king of the south has one last attack on the king of the north, and then the king of the north comes back at the king of the south, and then you start reading about the glorious land and various Arab nations. You get insight to financial gain with gold and silver, but then you're left with this haunting idea in the last verses of the chapter which says that there's something coming out of the east that will trouble the king of the north. And then he goes out with great fury to annihilate many. Now, I'm reading chapter 11 because of those words that were there on my screen in my cubicle in my office right there in Brisbane that connected those towers in New York City with the words of Daniel chapter 11. But the very next words that come right after Daniel chapter 11 say this, And at that time, Michael shall stand up, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Who is this Michael? What does this mean? When is this going to happen? I mean, this whole declaration that Michael stands up seems pretty significant and a great time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. As the year 2001 drew to an end, war was all that we heard every night on the news, in every morning newspaper. War was not just on the horizon. War had become our new normal. Was this the war that I was seeing on the evening news in Afghanistan and 
Iraq? Our war on terror begins with Al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. Was this the beginning of the war? Or is it something else, something kind of like a precursor to all of it? Although the book of Daniel gave me some insights, I I felt like there was something missing, some sort of clarity of details. It was almost like the book of Daniel was giving me a framework, but not giving me the nitty gritty. And I felt like that's what I needed. That's what this quest was all about, to get me some details to help make sense of this moment. Now, as I continue to dig into this ancient Hebrew book, seeking for more clarity of what this book was meaning, what all these symbols and time periods and descriptive events meant, as I searched libraries and online archives for anything that might give me some insight into this book, I came across this theme that this old Hebrew book was somehow connected to a Greek prophetic book known as the Apocalypsis. And the more that I dug, the more that I saw this idea kept cropping up everywhere. What the book of Daniel was to the Hebrews and the Jews, the Apocalypsis was to the Christian. I even came across some articles that suggested that the book of Daniel was actually decoded by the book of Apocalypsis, and that what is sealed in the book of Daniel is actually unsealed in the book of Apocalypsis. But what was this book of Apocalypsis? With a bit more research, I uncovered that the book of Apocalypsis had an English name. It was the book of Revelation. And that it was actually a book in the Bible. And so I opened up my King James Version of the Bible and turned to the table of contents. And sure enough, right there, there's the book of Revelation. It's actually the last book in the Bible. When I located the book and discovered it was 22 chapters long, I thought, let me jump to the end of the book and let me see how this story winds up. And so I turned to the last chapter, chapter 22, and I read words like, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. As I read these words, I thought to myself, well, this clearly hasn't happened yet. This must still be a future event in this prophecy. Let me go back further in the book. And so I turn to chapter 21. And I read these words. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I said to myself again, well, this clearly hasn't happened yet. This must still be a future event. Let me go back further in the book. And so I went to chapter 20. And read these words. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, who was the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. Again, I said to myself, I'm pretty sure this hasn't happened yet. This must still be a future event. Let me go back further in the book. And so I looked at chapter 19, a similar image, 
something that had to be future. Chapter 18, again, something that had to be in the future. Chapter 17, chapter 16, chapter 15. All of these chapters contained imagery and pictures and symbols and stories that were all somehow connected to events that had definitely not transpired yet. And then I found myself in Revelation chapter 14, reading about three messengers that were going to all the world, to every nation, to every family, to every language, proclaiming something called an everlasting gospel and speaking about some kind of judgment, which according to the text, had come. I kept working my way back through each of the chapters until I reached chapter 1. In chapter 1 and verse 3, there was a text that captured my attention. It read, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven A blessing? A blessing to those that read these words? A blessing to those that hear the words? A blessing to those that keep these words, really? What's the blessing? I can sense that there's something here. There's something below the surface, but what is it? What am I meant to be hearing? What am I meant to be reading? What am I meant to be keeping? And what is this blessing? Well, we have to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue with my September 11 story and how the books of Daniel and Revelation became fundamental to the origin of my experiment with faith. And remember to stick around for today's code word for today's giveaway. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. But then
This is The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back. I'm Robbie Bergen and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host and this is episode three. And I'm calling this episode War on the Horizon. Now, I just shared before the break how I discovered a connection between the books of Daniel and the Apocalypsis, or as it's more commonly known, the book of Revelation, and how that as I went to this last book of the Bible, and as I jumped right into that last chapter thinking that somehow I would get the conclusion of the story without having to read the whole story, and as I read that last chapter, it was clear that these events had not taken place yet. It was talking about new earths and new heavens and God wanting to be with people in a new city and all these sorts of things. And as I worked my way back through each of the chapters in reverse order in the book of Revelation, I found that at least half of the book was talking about events which clearly hadn't happened yet. It was talking about plagues covering the planet or total one world governments controlling all parts of society or the coming of this King of King and Lord of Lords. And I left you with that scene when I came across that verse in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, which gives a blessing to anybody who reads or hears and keeps the words of this book. And so this verse got me thinking. It's not just reading, it's also hearing. Now, this is an intriguing thought because in my problem-solving universe, we're always looking for multiple ways to experience the context, trying to immerse ourselves to grasp the ins and the outs and thereby somehow seeing and perceiving a solution to the problem. And so I thought, I need to find a way to hear these words, not just to read them. And so I found myself a few days later back at that same store, the place where I bought my first Bible and my strongest strongs. When I entered the store, right there, right there in front of me, was the whole Bible on CD. I couldn't believe it. It was right there. Somebody had read the entire Bible and recorded it on CD. Now, I said at the start of the show that I would be giving away a great prize today. Well, the prize today for the first person who texts in the code word, they will receive the New King James Bible as an audio Bible of MP3s. This is very similar to the one that I bought all those years ago. So to claim it, all you need to do is be the first person to text the code word AUDIO. A-U-D-I-O. Text the code word AUDIO to 04888-45311. 04888-45311. And if you're the first person to text through the code word, you will get this New King James Audio Bible as MP3. Next time on The Faith Experiment, I'll continue to take you on my journey through the aftermath of 9-11. And I'm going to continue to show you how my experiment with faith began. Now it's time for the inbox. This is the time of the show where I go through the inbox and read some of your comments and questions and the feedback based on our previous episodes. Now let's see. We've got Venice here who posted, I'm thoroughly enjoying the new segment. Thanks for sharing your story, Robbie. I'm looking forward to tuning in next week. Well, thank you, Venice. 
We have an email here from David who says, I've just heard your testimony of these three events on Faith FM. Thank you. It was very spiritually uplifting. Well, thank you, David. I'm glad you uh, found my story encouraging. Next, there's James from Victoria who says, Your program is highly engaging and I've recently begun listening because of a recommendation from a Christian friend of mine who told me he felt very uplifted listening to Faith FM. That's awesome, James, and this is probably a good reminder to share our programs with your friends. It might be the very thing they need to help them experiment with their faith as well. Next, I've got Margie from Queensland who says, I love your program. Thanks, Margie. And I have a text message here from Tina from Perth who says, I've just discovered your station and I'm really enjoying the story. God bless. Well, thank you, Tina from Perth. And lastly, I've got Ross from Ballina who says, I just want to tell you that I'm thoroughly enjoying your 911 story. Well, thanks for all your feedback. I really appreciate it. Please let me know where you're listening to The Faith Experiment from and let me know how you think life has changed since 911. Text me your comments on 0488845311 or email me at robbie at faithfm.com.au. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 That's 0488 453 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.